When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. We, we try and refer to them now as snakes and ladders and, and the board game. You know, you're going to get moments where your coaching and management career is going to go go really well. It's going to go up. You're going to go up the ladder. You may be cherry picked from a role. You may get a load of praise off your academy manager, your first team manager, your CEO, your sporting director. But we all know what coaching and management is. Sometimes you're going to find a snake and you're going to go down. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Jess, and today I've got a very special guest with me. Today I've got um, an FA senior coach developer of the professional game, Steve Geenan. Good morning, Steve. How are you, mate? Morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thank you for joining me this morning. Steve, you know, in fact, I'm not going to waste any time. You know, for those listeners that don't know who you are and what you do, would you mind just sharing a bit about where your journey started and what you and how you've got to where you are today? Sure, yeah. Um, I was quite fortunate to, to have been a former professional footballer and uh, started off at Nottingham Forest as, a, as an old-fashioned apprentice or a scholar nowadays and um, made my way and somehow had some, some sort of career in the game and uh, went on loan to a number of different clubs, um, but ultimately, you know, played in every league. So a couple of appearances in the Premier League, Championship, League One and League Two in the conference. So done the whole sort of repertoire, really. And then uh, post playing and while I was transitioning in the last few years, I started to do to do some coaching around the, the, the first teams I was at. And then uh, it sort of coincided my, my my playing career with actually going full time as a coach, and then got involved with coach development with the PFA initially, and then joined the FA uh, as a coach, senior coach developer, as you said, about just just under twelve months ago. Interesting, you know, just for those that don't know, what exactly does that role entail? Yeah, it's not straightforward, is it? Um, so basically, my, my sort of remit, along with some other other colleagues within my team, we we purely look after the the senior professional game. So, so almost the the professional game in in the results based um, business. So we work with 
predominantly sort of first team managers, senior coaches, uh, first team staff at, at the highest levels of the game, really. And my job is to, as, as the player to coach um, lead, sort of look after the, the qualification and development pathway for either current or former professional players that are transitioning into coaching and management roles. And just, you know, it's very much similar to obviously what the FAYC do's do within the academies, is that? Um, yeah, it's, it's not it's not too dissimilar. I think the only the difference maybe is where the FAYCDs will predominantly work with academy coaches. Yeah, we work at the other end. We work with first team coaches and managers, and at the top end. So that's where I suppose the slight difference is. So just in terms of supporting those those coaches and managers, what what does that look like? Obviously, you know, I, I, I'm assuming that most of the people in a role similar to yours would have had some experience at the first team level and coaching capacity. Is that correct? Um, the majority probably have, um, not everyone. And I, I think it's, you know, I think we, we forget that, you know, even even going through that journey myself as a player, that, you know, you may have spent, you know, 25, 30 years sort of honing those skills as a as a player from when you first kicked a ball, whether that was four, five, six, seven, eight years old. And I think a lot of players, whether you're high-profile internationals or whether you're, you know, sort of journeyman players like me who had some sort of career, you know, when you sort of step over the other line, um, everyone thinks they're going to be a success very quickly and it's very easy to adapt from a player to a coach or a manager. And that, that's far from the case at all. So, you know, very early on, we sort of um, try and instill the message and make them aware of, you know, you think about how long it took you to be a polished player. Well, that's no different to coaching, although the knowledge is, is quite often there from their playing experience and you know, absorbing like a sponge all the expertise from the managers and coaches they've worked with. They're mm. actually pretty novice coaches when they start. So for us to try and work with them over a period of time and at times try and try and help them understand the fact that although roles and opportunities may be there for them, you know, the, the stats are out there that unless you unless you nail that first job and you're going to be a success pretty early on, you may not actually get another opportunity. So sometimes, you know, taking your time and taking a little bit longer is actually a better process than than going in gung-ho and trying to land a first job pretty early. Mm. You know, just want to take you back to your journey now a little bit then, you know, where did that coaching journey start for you? Then obviously, you know, you, you said you were the next player, you know, as the years start to wind down, you know, what, what, what kind of stage in your journey do you start to think, okay, well, what am I going to be doing next? Am I going to go into coaching or am I going to pursue something else? Good question. It was probably, I can actually tell you the incident that, that made me really sit back. I'd I'd had a loan spell at Plymouth Argyle, who were in League Two, and I was probably about 24, and I'd had a good loan spell. Uh, I think I'd scored seven in 11 games. I went back to, to Nottingham Forest. They tried to sign me, but couldn't agree a deal. And I went back the following year, uh, another loan, loan spell. And off the back of it, the manager at the time, Kevin Hodges, he signed me on a two-year permanent deal. So, you know, Plymouth, it's a beautiful place, but it might as well be, you know, it might as well be Mars. It's so far away where. Yeah. But we moved down, and my girlfriend back then, who's now my wife, and, and we sort of settled. And I think we were expected to be in the promotion race, you know, if not in the top three. And by by sort of October, that, that wasn't uh, panning out. So the club got rid of Kevin Hodges and Paul Sturrock came on. Um. And for what one reason or another, Paul Sturrock wasn't having me as a player. Um, and even though I signed a two-year contract, I'd just bought a new house down there. He, he, he pulled me in the office and he basically just said, you're not my type of player. 
Uh, you're never going to play for the football club again. You're never going to train with the first team again. And he just left me rot, basically. Wow. Um, and I was sort of, you know, I just got married. I just bought a new house. And I was like, right, okay, so what's next? And started to go to the gym and just basically trained on my own for pretty much six, nine months. Um, never kicked a ball again. And and, and it was, it, A, it was heartbreaking and soul-destroying. But, B, that was a sort of light bulb moment that made me sit back and think, right, well, what am I going to do next? Because A, I've got to provide for my wife. I had a mortgage to pay. I had bills to pay like everyone else. And I thought, this can't happen again. And I wasn't in a position to go and get a job either in football or outside of football. So that was, as I said, the the, the, the moment I thought, right, let's get prepared. So I think the following summer, I went on a, a UEFA B course with the PFA that they, they still run for, for professional players. And I think that was up at Exeter at the time. And we did it with a host of lads from Exeter, Torquay, Plymouth, etc. Mm. Every year from then, I just continued coaching, you know, straight from a B licence. I, I tried to apply for my A licence as soon as I can, got on that. And then I did other things in, in, in preparation. So while I was still playing, I completed my A licence. I did the... LMA's diploma in football management. I did a sports science degree part time while I was playing at Hereford and Cheltenham, and managed to you know get that over the line. It took me six years part time, which I'll be honest with you, the amount of times I nearly jacked it in and walked away because I'd got a young family then, I've got young children, and it was really difficult to balance that with 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 you know still playing. So, but managed to to get as many strings to my bow as possible, so you know I could have a career in the game because. As you're right, the legs were going and, and I didn't have any pace anyway. I was just thinking, right, I, you know, I, I want to stay in the game and how how can that be possible? And I, it was in my mindset that if I got as many coaching or football-related qualifications, mm. I'd have the better chance of doing that. So so that was it. That that was my journey. That's how I got into coaching. And the latter, the last few clubs, really, Hereford, Cheltenham, um, Forest Green, Kidderminster, I was always involved in coaching, uh, you know, whether it was the first team, whether it was taking the pretty much what was known as the bomb squad, you know, those lads that couldn't make the first team but were too old for the youth team, uh, whether it was taking the reserves. I was always doing coaching in the last four or five years of my career because I knew that that would sort of, you know, pad out my CV and give me the experience that, that would be missing when I was looking to apply for jobs. Definitely, you know, obviously, you know, just obviously going through those uh, roles and some of those experiences. Did you was it early on that you started to set your eyes on, I guess, working in a senior environment, or you know, had your attention ever been, you know, moved towards working, I guess, in the youth game, uh, whether that be even in the development phase? Um, yes, yeah, you're right. To be honest, I think I'd always had my my head and my heart set on working with senior players. I think, you know, after after being involved in football from 16 in that senior bubble and being around first team players and the dressing room and the environment and that that's where I wanted to be and I, I did genuinely think in the last few years of playing that my my career path would would take me to to it to a manager's role or, or or an assistant manager's or a head coach role myself I thought that's where I'd go but you know life doesn't always go where you want it and to be honest looking back now I, I'm actually pretty pleased that it hasn't gone that way and I think it's you know it's common knowledge how how volatile you know first team management is and not just the manager the the assistant his backroom team and I'm glad it didn't go that way um and you know for one reason or another it didn't and coach development was something that landed in my feet and it's not something that yeah 
I'm probably doing myself a disservice, didn't just land in my feet because while I was playing in the last few years, I'd also got tutor status at level one and level two. So I was already a qualified tutor and I'd had an understanding of it and some experience of delivering on those courses. So I, it was easy. Well, I wouldn't say it was easy. That's probably wrong. I think when the opportunity came up to to get involved in coach development with the PFA in a full-time role, I'd, I'd already ticked those boxes in terms of what they wanted on their on their application in terms of CV, essentials, desirables. So, uh, and I knew that it would really open my eyes to to another world and would educate me further as a coach uh, first and foremost. So that that was that was another door that opened for me. Mm. And, you know, just speaking there about opening doors as a coach, you know, just stepping into that coaching world now. Did you have an idea of maybe what? The way that which you wanted to coach and what you thought was right for you or and how you know how has that evolved since then um i think probably and a lot of footballers do say this you know picking up the good bits from from managers and coaches i've worked with and also being aware of the bad bits that i've experienced and and not wanting to impart that on any of my players and you know i played for i played for 15 different clubs across the, the sort of four or five leagues and probably worked with 30 40 different managers and some pretty senior ones you know frank clark well brian clough was my first year at nottingham forest when i was an apprentice frank clark gave him a debut then it was you know stuart pierce dave bassett ron atkinson uh david platt came in and and working down through the leagues they've all had you know really really good attributes um i think you know, in the latter years at Cheltenham, John Ward and Keith Downing were, were fantastic and really opened my eyes. And and going back to, to Hereford Graham Turner, who's one of the very few managers that have actually coached over a thousand games. And I think there's some excellent bits. I think John Ward was the first person that really opened up my eyes to to actually caring about the person first rather than the player. And, you know, if you get your life right off the pitch, that tends to be and lead to being successful on the pitch. And I remember actually incident pretty early on within a few weeks in pre-season at Cheltenham and you know what while you're doing you're running and you're stretching around the pitches and, and you warm up John John came up to me and sort of said how's things how's the family what do you do the weekend what are you interested and I thought what's he on about you know no manager ever asked me that and I must have been 28 at the time and I found it really bizarre and he used to do it to everyone and used to care genuinely about you know the, the person first and you know that's something that I've I've definitely taken on board and tried to put them first and, and show the players that you do care about them and it's not just about the results come Saturday and you've got to get everything else right to you know, how they make them tick or how they want to learn what issues they're facing at home and I think you know that's now probably looked after more holistically given what the FA and the the Premier League and EPPP and everything that's that's brought to the fore so that's something fascinating I've always tried to to to, to utilize now and to to instill on my players and I think you know on the other side probably trying to just talk to players with respect and honesty I think you know in, in that first team bubble where where we tend to work it's not easy at times where some of the managers and coaches have to have difficult conversations with players. They have to leave them out. They have to drop players. And, and sometimes they have to sell them or move them on when the contract are an end. And they're not easy conversations, but they can still be handled with, with honesty, you know, respect and integrity. So as much as that poor Sturrock and Plymouth situation really um, disillusioned me and disheartened me as a football player, those conversations happen all the time. And, if that was ever to happen to me again, or I was in a position to educate coaches and players how it could be handled better, 
you know, why can't you just, you know, be 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 a grown man and and sort that out as an individual and just say, listen, you know, I can help you get away playing in the reserves, being showcasing yourself and moving you on, and I'll still give you the respect that you deserve as a senior pro. It's better for the both of us. And you know, me being there for another twelve months and picking up a salary for doing nothing didn't help the football club, and it definitely didn't help me. So, yeah, definitely a people first person and, and handling situations with the respect, honesty, and integrity really. Yeah, just just on that to kind of elaborate a little bit more, what if, you know, not just your experiences as a player, but obviously now working in a coaching capacity and obviously now in your current role as, uh, I guess, a coach developer, what have those roles taught you about leadership and, you know, I guess, what would be your preferred style of leadership and what, you know, any key lessons that you've learned throughout that journey? Um, I think probably first, first and foremost, you you have to understand yourself. Um and, and that, that's not easy to do. I think that takes time and, you know, it, it does take experience and and um, all the different scenarios and situations in football. You have to understand and be aware of yourself, understand your emotions, the impact they have on other people. If you've got out, you know, a bed the wrong side in the morning, if you've had a tough evening the night before with kids, you know, you have to understand your own limitations and strengths. Um you have to exhibit a desire, you know, continuously to learn and improve. And I think, you know, linked to that is an awareness of the other people. I think first and foremost, you know, if we're, if especially in my role now, if I'm trying to help other people, I have to have an understanding of them. I have to understand what their emotions are as a person. Can they understand where I'm coming from? Can they get along with me? Do they trust me? Do they understand the the? Are they astute enough to understand the the environment that they're working in and the politics that forces within the football club? And I think before I even get to know uh, an individual and a person and try to help them, I think that's that's really important. Trying to get those two aspects um, clear and uh, transparent before we even start, you know, coaching them as individuals and and then you know subsequently coaching the players. So, so that's vital. And in terms of you know, sort of leadership, I think, um, you know, having a strategic eye and an overview of where they want to get through and what their compelling vision is, how that looks and how that transfers into practice. I think we, we sort of talk about, you know, helping them with, you know, observations and a technical eye because that's all they can see. But coaching is more about that. More than that, it's, it's, it's a whole variety of things. And for me to get to get the best out of them from a leader, I think it's trying to support and challenge them in the right way, trying to have impact upon them uh, with that open, in, you know, honesty and integrity I'm on about. And I think at times trying to trying to empower them to to take responsibility for their own learning, make them feel comfortable in their own environment, um, being brace being bracing about the challenge that's in front of them. And having autonomy, you know, we want coaches to be individual. We don't want robots. We want people to have personalities. I think there's there's nothing worse nowadays when you see players and coaches and managers interviews on Sky, BBC, ITV, whatever it is, and they're very, very formal, very, very robotic. There's no humour. There's no personality. And that's something that we want to bring out in people. So I think, you know, developing them in that environment and uh, developing them as people is, is really important to me as well. Mm. You know, just obviously, you know, you mentioned a few names there earlier about, you know, Ron Atkinson, Stuart Pearson, so and some of the others there. I just want to, you know, interest to know throughout your journey and what who are some of the some of the major influences that have been in it, you know, what are some of the biggest lessons you've taken from them? Um 
well, I, I'll be honest, some management I didn't take a great deal from. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it's one of the things that we're trying to do now across the A licence and, and the Pro licence with some individuals. It doesn't half, you know, make you sit back and think, well, actually, they, they weren't great coaches. They weren't great managers. You know, there was very little preparation, planning. They didn't really care you out, you know, about you as a person. And there are certain individuals that will look back on them and think, wow, you know, how did you get where you did? And um, I think that's really apparent. Um, I think, you know, looking back at my day at Forest, I think David Platt was probably one of the first people that came in and probably from his experience in Italy and playing abroad, he was the first person who I can think of who ever actually tried to utilise sports science as a, as a department and as a, a, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an area to try and develop the players um, individually and as a team. And I think, you know, we, we were, the, I remember it being really bizarre pre-season. We were wearing heart rate monitors, watches, and no one had really heard of it. And, you know, we brought in a, a sports science specialist and a, and a fitness coach. And I think back then, you know, David Platt was very forward thinking in his approach uh, didn't quite work out for him in management a number of clubs and was probably, you know, in hindsight, better off as a number two. But that that sort of, you know, definitely impacted on me. And, you know, what else is out there to try and develop, you know, individuals, unit teams to to develop themselves to to gain success and performance on a Saturday. Um, I think probably, uh, you know, a little bit further down the line, you know, as I, as I previously mentioned, John Ward and Keith Down in Cheltenham were, were fantastic, really, in terms of, you know, handling a budget and a club on a shoestring. We were a very young team, although we did have some talented players. And I think they they used that environment to the best of their ability. And it was always us against them. It was always David against Goliath. And, you know, ultimately we achieved promotion into League One from League Two. Um, and looking back, I don't know how we did it. And it, it was, you know, credit to them. Keith's coach and in particular was fantastic. John's management skills, making you feel personalised and individual. Um, was was brilliant. Keith never hesitated any afternoon going out and doing extras with you. And I think going full circle, probably going back to Hereford with Graham Turner, he was it was very simplistic, and I'm I'm doing him a disservice there, but he was very um organized, very prepared, but never overcomplicated things. It was listen, this is who we're playing, this is what we want, this is how we're going to execute it. Go out, go that go that go out there and do it. Never really made life overcomplicated. You knew where you stood with him. And he, he was very um, honest, respectful, and he's someone that you know I've come to admire and, and still keep in contact with this with, to, to this day. And I think he acts now as a mentor to some managers with the LMA. And uh, he, you know he was quite understanding of my situation as a senior player and a coach, and um, allowed me to take the reserves for pretty much eighteen months, get involved in conversations around selection and uh, some of the strategies around the team preparation for Saturday and. I'll always be thankful for to him for that. So there, there's probably three managers I'll, I'll probably take a great deal from. Mm. You know, just want to kind of obviously take you back to your own coaching a little bit now. You know, I touched on it briefly earlier about, you know, looking at the way that you wanted to coach and, you know, how that's evolved. What would you say are some of the key fundamentals to your coaching philosophy? Um, well, definitely, you know, person before the player. Um, I think I think that's, that's integral to the way I am. And, you know, even though I'm not particularly working with players now, that that's still, um, there can be attributed to a person before the coach. It doesn't matter who they are, you know, to understand their environment, their constraints, what they're working with, you know, who they're working against and, and what, what their life's like off the field. You know, it's quite easy to make 
assumptions about individuals before you even get to know them. So, you know, if I'm working with a coach or an individual before I even go and, and observe or try and help them and develop them, I'll just get an understanding of them, who they are and everything else, everything else I've mentioned, because I think that's vital uh, moving forward. I think, you know, fundamental to me as well is trying to, you know, trying to, try, trying to get them to, to understand that, um, where they want to get to is not an easy journey. I think, I think that's, that's really, really imperative. And I think trying to work with them over a period of time is really uh, beneficial to me to, to ultimately what I, what I sort of thirst for is when that penny drops, when the light bulb goes off. And I think at, at time, you know, even if you're working with a coach, you, you're trying to work on some practice design for an example, um, and they don't really know why they're doing things. And I think trying to ask them, probe them, ask, you know, asking the right questions that can be challenging at times. When you see that drop over, over a period of weeks, months, sometimes even years, that is, that is what I thirst for. That that's the moment that I'm in the game for really as a coach developer. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question to, to, to answer really, but definitely person before the coach and definitely trying to get them an understanding of what are you in it for, how I can help them and those light bulb moments along that journey. Mm. Yes. And, you know, essentially those light bulb moments and understanding those things about the coach, will you know, I help you identify some of their motivating factors for their own journey and what keeps them, I guess, going and inspired along that journey. But in terms of, you know, inspiration and motivation, what, what, was what is it for you that keeps you inspired and motivated to keep going um i think ultimately a a that it's my role to do that first and foremost that's my job but i think b you know i, I i've been in that scenario myself and i think that's really important i think there's a there's a load of good coach developers out there uh, with the fa with the pfa there's now you know coach developers working for the premier league there's people working for the lma um the efl there's a load of stakeholders out there and i think that is my job to help people i think you know it, it does help if i've got um experience of being in their situation and can try and um i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily try and mentor them i think that that is very close to it in terms of uh, trying to expose them to the path that they're on, um, the the opportunities. The we, we try and refer to them now as snakes and ladders, and and the board game. You know, you're going to get moments where your coaching and management career is going to go go really well. It's going to go up. You're going to go up the ladder. You may be cherry picked from a role. You may get a load of praise off your academy manager, your first team manager, your CEO, your sporting director. But we all know what coaching and management is. Sometimes you're going to find a snake and you're going to go down. And that may not be as a result of, 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 your, of, of yourself. It may be circumstances dictate. It may be budget cuts. It may be that a manager comes in, a sporting director coming in, the club going in a new direction. They don't want you as an individual in, in that particular position. So I think having an awareness and trying to help them and pick them up at times through that journey that they're on. And I think, you know, even through the qualification pathway, it's more than that. We're not just there to help people get qualified. It's to it's, it's to support them through their journey. And beyond that, you know, CPD does not just mean a tick box exercise for us. It's not just a case where you need, you need three or five or 15 CPD hours to, to keep your, you know, your qualification status. No, well, actually, what do you really need? How can we be 
really personalized, bespoke, make it individual for them and try and, as, as I said, from the moment they want to get involved in coaching to the last possible moment that they, they finish coaching and retire or, or choose another pathway, how can we help them um, and, and, you know, really give them the opportunity to have longevity in the game um, and that, that's what it's all about, really, to try and be as impactful and to, to give them the best possible chance of being a success in whatever role they're in. OK, so just to kind of develop on that, then, you know, you've been in a role where obviously previously as a player, now as a coach and, you know, coming into coach development, you've been exposed to various different coaches at various different levels. And I'm sure you've seen coaches from all different environments. And within that, you know, there must be some consistencies that maybe that you think, yeah, those are some great behaviours, but on the, you know, what, what what would they be? And on the flip side, what are some of the things that you, you know, maybe identify as bugbears when it comes to coaching, you know, the things that they that make you, you know, get you frustrated when you see certain coaches, I guess, carry out certain behaviours, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Christ. Um, I think one of the things that, that, that stands out for me in terms of um, a bugbear is just, just a linear... Uh, a lack of uh, preparation sometimes and thought. I think it's, I was working with a coach uh, not so long back and um, as part of the, the, the warm-up activity really after the sports science department had, had had their fix was a passenger. And I think, you know, one of the things we'd always ask is, well, what is, what is the point in doing a passenger? Um, it hundred percent has got benefits, repetition, you know, realism, uh, relevance, but, you know, it was just an off-the-cuff comment. Well, it's just a passing drill to get them going. Well, okay, I understand why a passing drill is there and what's it for, but passing drills can A, still be coached. It can still be beneficial for the player. But this was a comment and there was no rationale behind it. It was just a passing drill. And I'm thinking, well, okay, but can you actually try and get them to be, do some stuff that's position-specific? Can you get them to do something on the pitch geography where it relates to them on the pitch? Are they actually in the passing sequence that would relate to what they would do come game day? And, you know, generally just that thought process behind when you're planning the session well a how do you go about planning a session and your practice design do you work from front to back from warm up to to end of the session do you go from you know saturday 11 v 11 or 9 v 9 or 7 v 7 and work backwards you know just that general that just that lack of um as a, I, I don't know what the right word would be but just real yeah, the real detail behind it and trying to ascertain everything, your intended outcomes of the session. Well, what's the best possible, possible way of achieving those goals? And at times, I just don't think people think in, in depth enough about it. Um, now, some of the attributes that, that I would definitely say in my own role that, that I sort of look out for and I watch out is, you know, are, are these players that are transitioning to coaching and management, are, are they really curious enough about the game? Have they got a passion and enthusiasm for it? Um, you know, it's quite easy to say that they have, but I think, you know, once you face the obstacles that you're going to face in the coaching and management world, well, have you really got that that real uh, passion deep inside you and that motivation and determination to bounce back after the first hurdle? Because, all those coaches and managers out there at whatever level will face obstacles at some point. So, you know, do you really want uh, to stay in the game? Are you going to be a lifer and, and stay in football in some capacity? Because I don't think generally some of the coaches and managers that I work with do. I think they just see it as an easy way to, to stay in the game, maybe for a year, year or two, and then they'll drop out. I think, you know, humility and 
and empathy is a huge one for me as well. You know, if we're fortunate to work with players at whatever level, well, are they really, you know, humble and, you know, have that humility about them? Are they sort of an understanding of they've got so many gaps in their skill set and in their toolbox that they need to develop on the other side now as a coach? And I think, you know, as you can imagine, there's quite a lot of people out there will just think that they are the finished article, even though they've actually got no experience of coaching. So they're two two really important parts for me that that may make me get a deeper understanding about them as people and and individuals. Yeah. Really, I think it all comes back to that you know that saying of you know you don't know what you know until you until you know or what you don't know until you know. Right? Yeah, no, you're right. Exactly. Until you until you get exposed um, and you're told what you don't know, then you, you actually haven't got a clue, have you? I, I always think about the meerkat. And at times people are in their own little burrows and they're working away and they're doing their own little things. And then all of a sudden someone will expose an area that you've no idea even exists or you've even heard of. Or um, all of a sudden the meerkat pops up, sticks his head above the parapet. It's like, wow, so where do we go from here? There's, there's a whole host for me to, to learn um, and to educate myself on. So I think you're right. I think that's a, that's a really valid point. I think you're just kind of coming back to that now then you know you look, we're looking at not knowing what we don't know potentially um and you know in in the process that can present us with you know many obstacles challenges and you know situations we might have to overcome some adversity so you know i've just been curious to you know bring it back to yourself now initially as a player and then moving on to as a coach and even possibly now as a coach developer have you ever is any situations where you can you know share with us that where you've had to overcome sort of uh, adversity or you've been presented with a big challenge. I know one of the biggest uh, things that you touched on earlier was your time at Plymouth where you were basically brought into the office after, you know, getting married, buying a house and basically telling, being told that you... Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You're not wanted anymore. You know, I'm sure that was a, quite a challenge for you. Have you had any other, other situations that, you know, that have maybe been on par with that, both in the playing, coaching, and the, um, even now coach developer? Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, you're always going to face adversity and obstacles are always going to be put in your way. Um, I think I can remember being back at Kidderminster at the time and which we were in the conference and I was doing the first team coaching role along with, you know, academy manager and setting up the academy, which had over 120 players. And, you know, it was really difficult because, you know, the time that you're putting into the project was, you know, pretty much sort of eight till eight at night at times, you know, six days a week. It's tough. It's not easy. And I think 
you've got to know what you're in it for. And, and that was a really tough process. And I think we we, we ended up being a, having a really successful season. We finished second in the league, came runners up, lost in the playoffs to Wrexham. And when I came in as first team coach, along with Steve Burr, we were actually second from bottom at the time. So, you know, quite proud of that season and how it, it, it transpired. But then the following season, as happens in football, boardroom changes, managers move on. Another manager came in and very early on, again, it was quite you know, made very abundantly clear to me that I was not going to be involved in the first team, which which is a quite, you know, quite bitter pill to swallow. But, you know, that's life. You've just got to get on with it. And, and I think I'm always a, a glass half full person, quite positive, not a, not a, a glass half empty approach. And it was like, well, OK, well, what can we do? I'll throw myself into the academy and, you know, at least I'm not going to be working all the hours God sends and being involved in the first team environment. And I threw myself into that and, and developed a whole host of players, got their team to the, the furthest that ever been in the FA Youth Cup, which I think was the fourth round and took, you know, immense pride with that. Um, and ultimately... I did know that I wanted to work with in that senior environment, as, as a you know previously mentioned. So it was like, well, okay, well, how can I use this to my advantage and, and try and get myself back into that into that first team bubble, etc. So, you know, I'd spend time going out watching games on Saturdays, trying to observe other coaches in that first team environment, um, and that, and that sort of led me to, to be in a better position of if I was going to be in another senior coaching role. At least I knew the landscape, at least I knew a whole host of players, I knew the level, I'd got up-to-date current methods of going around watching various first-team managers and coaches. You're out there, you're a visible face, you're at games, people are talking about you, building up your network. And I think that's that's a really important, a really important part to take. Um, and I think, you know, bringing it back to, to, to my current role, I think there's always hurdles and difficulties. And I think, you know, we, we sort of, um, as I said, work with some, some complex individuals who who are very high profile and have, you know, sort of stellar playing careers. And, you know, I, I'm not oblivious to the fact that, yeah, I had a career, but nothing compared to some of those. And quite often, some people will always, um, your first impression is, who are you? What can you bring to me? And I think that's always at the back of my mind. And I think very early on, it's, to, it's a very delicate approach with some of those individuals, as I sort of said, to try and help them. Trying to trying to develop them as individuals. How do they want to play the game? How do they want to coach the game? What sort of environment do they want to create? How do they, you know, see their coaching and development or management journey progressing? And what can I do to help them? So very early on, um, it, it's it's a difficult approach for me to try and ex almost showcase and exhibit what I can do and what can I bring to them. Um, but but. I can do that and I've got experience of doing that now over the six, the last six, seven, eight years. So um, th there's perhaps two, two difficult situations that I've had to overcome and, and will still have to overcome uh, until the end of my career. So um, it's not always easy, but I think you've got to have a lot of self-belief, a lot of determination um, that you can, you can bring something to whoever you're working with really. Definitely. You know, it's just curious then obviously you kind of, building off the back of that then if you had to if you had an opportunity to go back to three separate or two separate points initially one back to start your playing journey and even back to start your coaching journey and you had the opportunity to speak to yourself back then what what, what would your advice be at both those points um if i'm being really honest with you as a player uh i didn't take it seriously enough 
Um, I look back and I think, you know, Nottingham Forest was a you know fantastic club and still is. It's a huge club. I've still, you know, a lot of people there currently playing and on the coaching staff. But, you know, I go back to my, to the start of my apprenticeship and football was still very much a drinking culture back then. Sports science wasn't uh, involved. There was a lack of education in that, in that aspect of the game. And, um, I remember we'd be having pie and chips for you know our sort of nutritional dinner before training the next day, and we were allowed a pint in the hotel on a Friday night at times. And I, I didn't understand what the game was about, and I just sort of embraced that side of and, and that culture. Um, and very early on, you know, I think I made my debut in the Premier League at 19 away at Wimbledon, and I think. I didn't understand how dedicated and professional you had to be in terms of living your life right off the pitch, working on your extras in the afternoon, um, not really fixated about what we call now that wash bag culture. Um, there's a lot of footballers, and I was definitely part of that then, who just wanted to be a footballer. I wanted to be a footballer because of the trappings of success and that brought. And I think, yeah, definitely I'd have I'd have shook myself, you know, so hard to say do you understand the opportunities that that is in front of you and if you try and make the best of this because football is very short-lived you know even if you have a playing career for 20 years which a lot of footballers don't you've actually got more of your life to live after um even if Mm -hmm. even if you are fortunate as some people are to never have to worry about finances and work again well actually what's the mental health aspect of that you've still got to get up you've still got to get a passion and a driver to get out of bed every day um, and to go and do something with the rest of your life. So I, I'd have yeah, been absolutely furious with myself looking back about how I handle myself as a as a professional player because I, I think what, what actually could I have been if I was more dedicated to the game? Mm-hmm. But, you know, just coming back to what we said earlier about, you know, not, not knowing what we don't know what we don't know, essentially. And, you know, if you kind of, when you're speaking, it makes me think about, when we were kids, for instance, you know, we, we'd grow up and our parents would tell us X, Y, Z or whatever they tell us. And we sometimes just bat it off. So, you know, that, that, that could obviously be a challenge when you've got something. That we, obviously, we, you know, hypothetically going back to speak to yourself. But it, let's imagine for a second that someone of a senior capacity, you know, who's, who's had the experience now. It's, it's not always as simple as just taking their word for it, is it? Um, I think that's one of the challenges in that. And, you know. I'll always give an example of, you know, how some people learn from just literally by being guided or being presented a message in the right way that communicates or hits them right. The other way is, you know, I always look at the situation of how do we learn not to touch, uh, you know, the oven stove when it's uh, when we're younger. We either watch someone else do it and then see them get burnt and think, I don't, I don't want to get involved in that. We either get burnt ourselves or, you know, the very few, there's probably very few of them out there who just kind of listen and say, you know, you're not meant to touch that, you're going to get hurt. How, how do you know, how, how do you maybe communicate that message to someone who's probably a, a little bit naive and uh, almost feel, feels like they've got their own uh, perspective and are quite hedgehog? I think, I think it's, an, it's an amalgamation of all of those that you've mentioned. I, I think, you know... I'd be going into the clubs and working with some young scholars with the PFA on a, on a level two coaching qualification. And, you know, that, that was me 20 odd years ago, probably over that. Uh, and mm. as much as you can find guide and help them and expose them and make them aware of what lies in front, they don't want to listen to a 44 year old guy who's been there seeing it, done it. They don't, it, it's like, you know, I'm having this, funny enough, I'm having the same, 
uh, conversations with my son who's 16 and he's now a, a scholar, first year scholar at Cheltenham Town. And I, I'm trying to right. talk to him about, you know, my experiences as a player and going through it. But with all due respect, he doesn't want to hear it off his dad. He, he's absolutely no, he just doesn't yeah. want to talk to me about it. He wants to talk and listen to his coaches and the people at the football club and people he respects from a football coach capacity. He doesn't understand um, where I'm coming from. He knows what I do, everything else. But at this moment in time, I may be the bloke next door who's trying to talk to him. You know, within one sentence, I've lost him. I can see his eyes rolling and he doesn't want to know. Yeah. So I think, you know, you make a really valid point of quite often it's that experiential learning that you have to go through. And quite often you have to make those mistakes yourself. You have to learn from your own mistakes. And as much as you can be there to pick them up, uh, pick up the pieces when they do fall down. I think that's all we can do. And, and you just got to try and constantly drip feed those messages through from yourself, from other people, and use, using those sort of learning examples that we've got now, you know, in this virtual world and in, in the modern day. Are they snippets on, on Twitter? Are there snippets on Instagram? Are there snippets on podcasts? Are there anything out there that you can just slowly but surely constantly educate players about the the pitfalls that, that 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 are no doubt going to trip them up at some point, the positives that players go through mm. in the way that they develop themselves and the way that they were dedicated and disciplined, um, whether they were, you know, as, as players, coaches and managers. And I think that's all we can be there for. You know, I, I always think now, uh, with all the players that I've worked with in the past and even the coaches that I'm working with now, what what sort of legacy would I like to, to be held with at some day when I've retired or, you know, six feet under? And genuinely, I think all I'd like them to say about me, do you know what? In hindsight, he was a good guy. He tried to help me and he was honest. I think that's it. And I think, you know, even if players, you know, we all know the pitfalls of being a professional footballer, all those players that sign a scholarship at 16, not every single one of those are going to be a professional footballer. You, you just can't be. There's not enough positions in the game. So all those under 18 coaches, academy managers, heads of coaching, I think, you know, my sort of, um, you know, words of advice would be, well, can they, you know, if you bumped into them in the street on a Saturday, would they come up and say hello to you and say, do you know, how's it going? How, how are you? How's things? Great. Good to see you again. And I think that would sort of be, um, that would sort of, you know, that would sort of tell me and leave me a message that, do you know what? You, you've said hello to me because you thought I was all right. I think there's a lot of people I've come across who would actually run a million miles from some coaches and managers they've worked with because, didn't help they didn't they don't hide them in in high self-esteem and in um in a good position so um that's it i think we can you know it's an amalgamation of everything trying to be there to pick up the pieces guide them help them but ultimately they've got to be you know an advocate of their own pathway and if they fall they fall we've just got to be there to help them and support them definitely you know and just kind of you know Build on that, you know, you've talked about the legacy, and it's a question that I ask a lot of the guests that come on the show. You know, what kind of legacy would they want to leave? Um, you know, and it's it's quite interesting how those words that you've mentioned they are quite consistent around being a good person. Uh, you know, that person, you know, that person, you know, a lot of people say, you know, that person, you know, had took took time out for me. They, you know, they made me feel uh, important to an extent, um, and they actually genuinely cared. And you know, it's it's interesting how you know, despite everyone's ambitions, goals and whatever journey they're down in, that they, these are these are common things that keep coming up. And, you know, just to kind of build on that then, you know, what would you say, you know, you've still hopefully got a few years left in you before you do eventually, you know, retire in in, in full. Um 
what would you say is next for you though? Yeah, well, well, to be honest, I, I'm not looking what's next. Um, not at this moment in time. I, I left the PFA to go to the FA last December to 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 lead on this initiative. And you know, it's um, when I came into this uh, into this role, it was pretty much a blank canvas. It was a really fantastic, exciting opportunity to develop this program, to build it, to make it my own. And uh, you know, as a result of that. I genuinely don't see me leaving this role, or, you know, or the PFA in that matter for, for a number of years. I, I want to, you know, I, I think you have to you have to see certain things through. And I think at this moment in time, it's going to take a number of years to get this off the ground for it to be impactful and to get it to a place where I'm happy with. So um, I, I definitely don't see myself leaving the FA um, anytime soon. I think beyond that, and, and you know, having experience of football, you've always got to be aware of, well, football's got a habit of kicking you up the backside and football's not, you know, straightforward. So anything can happen in the game. Um, I could move on. That decision could be taken, you know, out, out of my hands. Something could really, really sit up and make my head turn. So I genuinely don't know what's next and I'm not looking around the corner to see what's next. So... I've no idea. All, all I know is that at this moment in time, I'm passionate and keen to, to, to develop this programme to make it the best it possibly can be, to be most impactful. And I think, you know, the strap line that goes ahead with with my role is is delivering, you know, more English qualified coaches working at the highest levels of the game. And that's where my focus is right now and, and continue will continue to be for the next few years. Mm. You know, just kind of as we start to wind down now, then, you know, just in line with what you just said there in terms of delivering more English qualified coaches at the highest level. Um, obviously, the highest qualification is currently the UEFA Pro Licence. So what, what would you say are some of the key things for people, people to consider if they're looking to maybe go down the route of applying for the Pro Licence? Um, and, you know, how much how much information can you just share out around what that process looks like for those maybe prospective A licence candidates or pro license candidates with an a license yeah sure i think the the pro license is very much a sort of leadership and management qualification um i think it, it follows on from the a license which is you know the, the the highest award from a from a technical tactical aspect um and i think that the pro license at this moment in time is in a really good position it's been developed and it's, it's led by guy whittingham at the moment um, and I'm fortunate enough to a gone through that process myself as a as, as a learner and a candidate, and now be, being being around it as a tutor. And I think it is the highest qualification uh, within the game and across Europe. And you know we're we're committed to develop with those individuals who want to work at the high levels of the game. And I think you know the current regulations from from UEFA and the Premier League at this moment are you need the pro license to to work within the Premier League as a, as a head coach or a manager. Now they're trying to bring that in to, to the championship. And I think in League One and League Two, as it stands, you need to have the UEFA A license. So we're talking about, you know, the highest levels of the game for the, the UEFA pro license. So it's specifically designed for, for leadership positions. You don't have to be a head coach or manager so some of the individuals that have gone through the course over the last few years and and have applied for next year uh, are, are a mixture myriad yeah yes managers yes first team coaches but there are academy managers there are heads of coaching there are sporting directors there are technical directors there are under 23s coaches and and there are some under 18s coaches because i think we've we have got um you know a sort of belief that 
it is about succession planning. It is about, well, you don't have to be a current head coach or manager uh, to aspire to, to, to get your pro licence. And I think rightfully so from where I was a few years ago. Once you've achieved your, your licence, where is the next area of development for you? So I think there is a, a project that's being developed with the, the FA at the moment and that there is um, a, a net being cast there to really try and help identify those high potential coaches who who may not be in one of those privileged positions right now but actually could be in two three five ten years time so there's a project at the moment to try and to try and identify those people um at this moment in time the the pro license itself is is sort of an 18 month course which you know sort of consists of a of four key areas really about you know the who, the what, the how, and the self, which are some areas that I, I sort of spoke about. And I think it, it, it's based across, at this moment in time, sort of nine different modules. And they're sort of around, you know, leaders and decision-making, uh, what it takes to win, uh, competitive advantage, uh, managing change, managing change rather, uh, high-performing environments, influencing skills, managing upwards and outwards, and preparing for... Uh, competitive advantage in big games and I think beyond that there is you know within every module and every aspect of the qualification there's always technical te always technical tactical because we're a big believer that that should be in there as much as it's about leadership and management people want to talk about football they want to think about football they want to be up to date with current and modern methods so that's a golden thread that runs throughout it mm. uh, and, I th and I think the process is not easy it's, it's a difficult you know, qualification to, to achieve and and pass because the, the the tutors that work on that course prod challenge you uh, all the way through. There's you know two visits between every single module. There's tournament visits. There's gone. So how how exactly is that course assessed? Then obviously you know you know you touched there briefly that you know the A license is probably the highest in terms of technical. Uh, a tactical comp you know demonstrable skill sets obviously this is more leadership and management based what what does that in situ process look like and how at what stage and what's the process in terms of you being deemed competent as a, as a candidate on the UEFA pro license and you know with the other courses for instance your B license your A license you get a set time frame to kind of obviously complete the course within is that similar to the pro license there a set time frame that you need to be completed in or is it strictly here's 18 months um at the end of it it's no, no, you're right. If we go back to the start, the, the actual application process, um, no different to any other FA qualification, really. There's, there's a page up on the FA Learning website or the boot room as it stands now. Uh, register your interest, which um, a, a host of people do. Standard, you know, there's four sort of stages, really, to the application process and ultimate selection. Um, and the final stage of that selection process is a two-day assessment centre at St George's Park. So we get industry industry experts and other experts from outside the football industry involved in that. And that will be psychometric testing. It will be technical, tactical, um, probing, challenging, deliver your, your, your practical and theoretical perspective of how you see the game. The, but once you actually decide on the cohort as such um there's nine modules of, of effectively three days so it's quite a it's quite a commitment across the 18 month considering there's a lot of 
people who who actually gain a place on the course are currently within roles and are employed anyway. There's also a five-day study visit within that, which is to a tournament. In between each of those modules, there's a one-to-one tutor visit. And, you know, it is, is, you know, practical uh, club-based learning and you'll get uh, individual action plans. There's there's taught principles and course content that are taught. There's application and taught principles that be delivered to you in your club in your own individual context and right throughout that journey there's you know there's a a responsibility for the learner to reflect and and provide evidence of their their learning journey which all sort of accumulates right up to the very end where there's an individual research project which is probably akin to a dissertation at university that it can be anything that you want to do within the game uh, and you present that back to a board of people at the end, which effectively, if that you know gets you over the line and everything else has been um, managed to be completed throughout the course, that then ultimately you'll you'll you, you'll pass the course as being competent. And mm. in, in terms of the, the in situ process, you know what what kind of things are observed in that? It's obviously you know I, I mean I, I'm currently I deliver level ones and level twos as part of the county FAs and. Um, you know, obviously the in situ process from those stages, including the B license and obviously the A license as well, is much more around uh, blending the four corners and how, how you, I guess, demonstrate your competencies in, in terms of actually delivering your practices and your sessions. How does that differ for the pro license? Is it much? Is it just observations of what's happening on the grass, or is it observations of what's happening away from that as well in terms of your, I guess, your planning, your methods, and you know, your the interactions between your multi. multi it's both. It's both. It's more. It's more aligned to how can you transfer the theory into practice? You know, what what are you taught on the pro license that is actually going to be impactful and beneficial to you back in your own context and in your environment? So, yes, of course, as I mentioned, the, the, there is some technical, tactical stuff, but also a, a lot of it isn't. So one of the things that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're developing on the course is about, you know, managing upwards, managing outwards, having those difficult conversations. Well, you know, some of that may be, with some experts that come into St. George's Park, as I said, either industry experts or outside of the industry or or a combination of both. And what we will do is challenge them to actually, well, what are you going to, what have you learned from this module that you're going to take now into your own environment? And we will work with them. Uh, We will set up some scenarios with them in the club or actually if they're actually in a position where they they may be actually facing those situations on a day-to-day or weekly basis, We'll be there to support them, to observe them, to evidence them, and to actually be um, in a situation where we we can give them some feedback about actually how they've performed in their own environment. Because as much as on any course, there is a balance of technical, tactical work on the grass and some theoretical content. Well, actually, how does that impact you in your own program, in your own practice and in your own environment? There has to be a transfer of learning. So we'll be there to to be around them, to to observe them and ultimately to see what they're taking from it that's going to be impactful from them, you know, and develop them further within their own environments and within the football club. Mm. Yeah, just, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, the, on this thing. And, uh, so, you know, my view is obviously the qualifications are fantastic. Um, you know, they've developed and evolved massively over the recent years and I'm sure they'll continue to do so. Um, there's a lot of coaches out there that, you know, that would say that there seems to be less emphasis or focus around the technical, tactical stuff nowadays than there was previously. And, you know, 
certainly from my experience and speaking to other coaches that have been on qualifications that I've been on and that maybe still going through qualifications now, I've expressed, uh, you know, some frustration at that aspect of things. And obviously, they, you know, the courses, like I said, they have evolved massively. You know, there's a lot more focus around the, the other three corners and there's a lot of great work being done on that side of things. But what would you say to those coaches maybe looking to develop themselves more from a technical standpoint um, and looking for where, you know, I guess, guidance on those sorts of things? Because whereas previously it was a, a much more tutor-led environment, obviously that's shifted a lot now, and I think, for the better. But um, that obviously has some trade-offs and, you know, one of them being that, some of the learners may not get as much access to the or exposed to the technical side I, of things. That I definitely do. think, yeah, you know, listen, I, I'm a huge advocate of the technical tactical side of the game. And I think it's imperative that it's um, a golden thread through all the qualifications from level one to level five. I do think there has been, you know, in my relatively short time with the FA, um, an awareness of at times that has been lacking. And I think that has been now developed and is being shaped and, 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 is being put right and is being changed and amended. Um, technical, tactical understanding of the game is probably the most fundamental part. And as much as we look at the other four corners and we talk about leadership and management and and everything else that goes with it, that that is at first and foremost. You, you know, the A license is the highest qualification from a technical, tactical standpoint. And whether that's understanding you know systems of play or formations. Um, applying understanding, whether it's coaching interventions, analysing strengths and weaknesses of opponents, working with the MDT team, you know, competitive advantage, coach. There's a whole host of stuff that that can formulate and, and can fall out of that. Um, but I think there has been a change and a shift over the last 12 months to try and integrate more technical, tactical um, aspects into courses and whether that's working as an individual or part of a cluster group or whether that's part of a wider team. And I think one thing that we're, we're definitely trying to do from the in-situ visit is we want to see them working in their own environment with their own players because that's what they do on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on an annual basis. So as much as, you know, even at the moment we're working in the virtual world, some of the courses are still running. And at the moment, as you can imagine, everything else is is on is online because it has to be because of COVID. So it's quite easy to present a session plan and you talk about it. And I think it's relatively easy to actually explain it, describe it. Um, but the key to delivering that session is actually on the grass when you're working against the elements, when you turn up and your planned session with 16 players has gone awry because four players don't turn up because the mom and dads can't get them there. And what you thought you've had a full size pitch, you're now actually working on a quarter of a pitch. All the equipment that you went, you haven't got all of it. That adaptability, that um, that quality to be able to think on the spot, the the ability to, of how you talk to your players and build connect and rapport with them over a period of weeks, all of those sort of nuances are absolutely vital. So. It is happening. It is be, it is being looked at, and it has been improved from my perspective and from the, from the position I'm in. So, I'd like to think over a period of time now that the learners across all courses will actually see there's actually quite a big swing back to uh, the technical tactical content and how it's going to help develop them on the grass. Because, in my opinion, that's what it's all about. Mm. Definitely, and I totally agree with that. And I think it's good to see. You know, obviously hear that the, the, you know, those changes are being amended and the adaptations are being made to kind of take it back and 
really put an emphasis back on that. Um, you know, just as we start to wind down it, you know, just last couple of questions, really. You know, if you had 60 seconds now uh, to leave the listeners with one golden nugget to take forward with them and apply within their own journeys, what I would think that be? Gain as, as, much, as much experience as possible. Uh, I think it's really evident you know when you when we as coach developers work with coaches at whatever level how much experience they've actually got on the grass and i think not just experience of working with a certain age group or ability i think varying that experience of working with males females adults kids um you know really good abilities uh some some perhaps teams and players who aren't able to perform to the highest level i think that sort of experience is fascinating and and is really important and we we talk about you know from a qualification perspective as tutors sometimes that the, the 70 2010 rule where you know probably 10 percent is taught on a course uh where you will pick up bits and, and nuggets of information and you may write a note or two here and it goes in a pad or a folder and it's perhaps put away and that's the only thing that you may take from a course or a block or a day or a workshop but actually trying to transfer that knowledge to you on the grass that that other sort of 70 percent of, of of learning actually happens in your own environment and over a period of time so you know, have you got experience of, uh, you know, the thing I just mentioned about four players don't turn up. Okay, I can adapt at the click of my fingers because I've, I've got experience of it. You know, you, you wouldn't believe the amount of people would turn up and there's a little bit of a fluster and a panic up because the session won't go how they want because they haven't got a perfect number of player players. It's not even, they haven't got the grass they want. They're, they're, they're flustered. Well, how are you going to get away from that? Because that is coaching. You know, without a shadow of a doubt, coaching means how can you adapt and be flexible on the grass? And I think that 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 really important bit of you being able to um, work as a coach, transfer all that knowledge on the grass is, is the most important thing. And I think it, the, the guideline that we sort of work to about, you know, we want not just interactions with us as tutors, your interactions with other staff is important. So that, you know, going back to that 70, 70, 20, 10 and trying to, trying to hone in on that 70% comes from knowledge, being on, being in your own club, job related experience, 20% is your interaction with others. And 10% is from the formal qualification environment and that educational setting. So as much as that, you know, level one, level two, level three, level four, level five, maybe a formal educational setting, well, actually, that's a fraction of what you're going to take and you're going to learn in your own environment. So trying to implement that is is the most important thing. So mm -hmm. I would probably say, you know, as much as experience as you can and trying to implement and gain that 70% of knowledge in your own environment. Fantastic. And Steve, just as you know, on a final note, then, you know, if the listeners had any questions or wanted to get in touch with you to kind of maybe pose some questions to you sure yeah well I, I am actually on twitter which is um at gins one so you can get to me through that or or, or instagram is actually the same that can drop me a message or connect to me and follow me uh, through that there's, there's no problem at all and i will get back to them well there you have it guys another edition of the coaches network insight series where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. 
please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye out on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.